If you would go with me to 1 Peter this morning. 1 Peter. The second chapter. We began. I guess what was it? Two weeks ago now. A new series on Sundays. That we're calling the offerings of the Lord. And I tell you it's helping me. Meditating on these things and studying. I knew they were important, but I didn't realize how important. I'm seeing more all the time. In First Peter, the second chapter, talking about the offerings of the Lord, First Peter 2 and 5. He says, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The Amplified says, Come and like living stones be yourselves built into a spiritual house. There's that phrase in the King James, built up again. Built up. For a holy, dedicated, consecrated priesthood To offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. Have we been made kings and priests unto our God? We have been. Revelation says so. We are a holy priesthood. Well, in order to know what that means in this I've already got some things stirring in me that will affect this in time to come. But uh, the writers, the Holy Ghost, and then through the human writers of the New Testament, assume that you know the Old Testament. Have you noticed that? Because there's references to it, and they'll make like a reference to something, and they assume you know what they're talking about. Like the priesthood. How would you know anything about the priesthood? Unless you knew about Leviticus. Right? In Exodus. So if we neglect our Old Testament, then we really are, don't have the foundation of understanding because the Old Testament is shadow and type of what is fulfilled in the New. And uh, he said that we have been made a priesthood. We are priests. Now, look at the text again. You as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Does he say that one day uh, in the future we're going to be a holy priesthood? No, we're, we're being built up in this thing and we are this now. Well, what do priests do? A big part of what they do is offer sacrifices and offerings. If you go back and read Leviticus, and it would be good for you to do that during this series, go back and read uh, Exodus and Leviticus. You'll find that a big part of what they were occupied with is bringing the offerings of the Lord and the sacrifices. I mean, it took huge amounts of time and energy in the service of the offerings. What did he say here? That we as a holy priesthood, we're to offer up what? Offer up. We're to bring and offer spiritual sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, or acceptable and pleasing to God. 
Now, when you say spiritual, so many times people's mind goes off on a tangent and they think, well, that's got nothing to do with natural things. And nothing could be further from the truth. I've had the privilege and have the privilege of fellowshipping and associating with some of what I consider to be the most spiritual people around today. Served with Brother Kenneth Hagin for 20 plus years. Ate with him, played games with him, rode in a car with him. You know, flew with him. And uh, I considered him to be one of the most spiritual people around. But he was also one of the most natural acting people. He didn't go around all the time with his eyes rolled back in his head. (laughs) Screaming in tongues. Did you hear me? So many times what people think is spiritual is not. And the expression of true spirituality comes out in so many natural uh, vehicles and ways that people who don't understand these things could miss it. People trying to be spiritual are not. They have this false concept of what it is, but true spirituality is just that God is real to you. Right? There's no falseness in it. There's no put on in it. I've told this before and it'll bear repetition. The very first meeting that Brother Hagin took me on, Phyllis and I, on to be a speaker in the afternoon. Uh, we had filled in for him on some things before, but he took us this time in the meeting, and we were one of the scheduled speakers. Well, man, you know, we felt like the cat that got the canary. Anybody know what I mean by that? We were riding to the meeting, and uh, Brother Hagin and Miss Aretha and Phyllis were sitting in the back. That's where they wanted to be. The driver and me were up front. And it got quiet in the car. Well, I had learned, don't just be running your mouth all the time. So I didn't. And uh, to another little funny thing, one day uh, some pastors picked us up and carried us like two hours to some place. And when we got there, I mean, when you see me, you hear me talking nonstop. I don't do this 24 hours, though. (laughs) There are times when I'm quiet. And uh, uh, the pastor pulled Phyllis aside and said, uh, Boy, Brother Keith sure is quiet. He didn't say anything for almost two hours. And she said she didn't even think. She just said, well, you know, he rarely interrupts people. (laughs) And then she thought, oh, man, I I didn't mean to say that. But that was what was going on. (laughs) So anyway, I'm being quiet. And we're riding along in the car and we're pulling through to get to the place. And boy, this is a big place and it's packed and you could just sense the anointing and the presence of God. And I'm thinking, oh, glory to God. Yeah, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. But I'm being quiet. All at once, he reaches up and gets the back of the seat, car seat. You know, I'm sitting there and starts shaking it like this. I mean, just shake. I'm doing like this. And he's going, whoo, 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 whoo. This is Brother Hagin doing this from the back seat. And he said, boy, did you feel that? And I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, oh, God. No. I didn't feel anything. So I'm trying to think, oh, man, he's going to know just how unspiritual I am right now. Before we ever get started here, I'm thinking, man, he's carrying on like a house fire back there. And I I was silent for a few minutes. Then I said, "Uh, no, sir. He said, me neither. (laughs) 
and just laughed, just broke out laughing. <laughs> well, see, so many times people are trying to be spiritual, and people who really are know, hey, break the ice and everybody relax, right? And let's don't try to produce anything, work up anything. God is God. And He's real, and you don't have to try to make up anything. And many a time I thought after that, I thought, now what if I'd have said? What if I'd have said, oh, 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 whoo, yeah, yeah. Well, then he would have known how unspiritual I really was. So no, true spirituality, you don't make up stuff. And it's not this weirdness that some people try to project. God is real. And he said that as a priesthood, we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices. But that doesn't mean that this has nothing to do with natural things. I mean, you can pray and it can be fleshly or spiritual. You can sing and praise and it can be fleshly or spiritual. You can bring an offering and it can be fleshly or spiritual, right? You can do a service to the Lord and it it can be fleshly or spiritual. How many are glad for our... uh, Parking lot workers that stand out in the cold out there and flag you in. And all of our people. Don't you appreciate that? Man, there's there's soldiers. Well, how many know if they're out there and they're not griping and they're not fussing and they're, they're glad to be there. They're honoring the Lord. They're endeavoring to communicate faith and love to people that come in. Is that a spiritual sacrifice? As well as our children workers and cleaning team and and ushers and everybody. Now, if you just go through the motion of it and you don't want to be there and you're griping and you're carrying on, well, that's fleshly. But if you do it from your heart and you do it to honor God and to please God and you do it in faith, is that a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God, well-pleasing to Him? It is. Well, we're talking about the offerings of the Lord And we said the word offering is offering, that which is offered. And by understanding that, you realize the other side of that is, just because something is offered, that doesn't mean it's received. And that's something I don't think has been taught on enough. That people, uh, even preachers sometimes act like, well, if you just shake the people long enough till the money falls out, well, you know, they'll kind of be blessed in spite of themselves. No, they won't. You can even come and bring a huge check. And the Lord not receive it. People might have received it, but that doesn't mean he received it. Did you hear me? No. Uh, there are a number of things that make our offerings acceptable or unacceptable to him. We looked at the first offerings in Genesis and saw Cain and Abel brought their offerings to the Lord. And the Lord did not receive Cain's offering. But he did receive Abel's offering. And we saw a number of reasons why. We looked uh, last week how that Noah came and after he and his family were spared from the flood, when the first thing they did, when their feet got on dry ground, he built an altar and he took of the precious seed. And it's only these few animals that are left to repopulate the planet. And he takes several of them and burns them up. What would some of the conservationists think about that? Huh? Talk about endangered species. All of them were endangered. 
A whole bunch of them, there are only two left in the world. And the clean animals that were fit for sacrifice, there was only, what, seven of them. And now after he's offered up several of them, there's not seven anymore. And a lot of folk would say, oh, no, 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 you don't do that. But the Lord didn't say no. The Bible said that he received it. It was a sweet smell to him. It was a sweet fragrance. You know, people try to teach and preach that only the affluent, only the wealthy should really give and that they are responsible to give and they should feel condemned if they don't. And there are a number of people that they really get bent out of shape if they think somebody suggests that poor people ought to give. But when you look at the Bible, you'll see that under the old covenant, which is type and shadow for the new, nobody was exempt from giving. Nobody. The Lord made provision for people who were poor to be able to give. If you go back, and I've been studying it this past week and looking at it closely, you know, again, you'll see that, for instance, on certain kind of offerings, and there are numerous ones, certain kind of offerings, if you were a leader of the people and you were wealthy, then you brought a bull, which was worth a good bit of money. If you were not and you didn't have as much, then you brought a lamb. And if you didn't have that much, then you brought two turtle doves. And if you didn't have two turtle doves, you brought some flour. But everybody brought something. Do you hear this now? There was no provision to say, well, now, if you're below this kind of income, then you're not expected, bless your heart, you're not expected to bring anything. We'll give you something. No, no, no. That's humanity. That's ungodly society. That's men looking at men. Everybody that's a believer is supposed to come before the Lord and bring your offering. Is that right? In faith and in joy. Notice the scripture here. We read this, that we as priests are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Uh, First Chronicles, you don't have to turn there, but First Chronicles 16.29 in the New Living, says, Give to the Lord the glory He deserves. Bring your offering and come to worship Him. How many like that? He said, Bring your offering and come to worship Him. Numerous times, you know, the Lord said this. He said, Everybody come before me on these times. And He said, Don't come empty. Isn't that interesting? Who said that? The Lord. Somebody said, well, yeah, well, I don't have anything. Yes, you, if you're eating, you could bring a handful of meal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Unless you're starving to death and got nothing, you could bring a handful of what you were going to eat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you see, the Lord made a provision for everybody from the top of the bottom to the bottom uh, income-wise. And it's about the heart. And how many remember the story of the woman who gave the two mites? Well, it wasn't a big amount uh, numerically, but it was a big amount percentage-wise. And he said she gave more than everybody. Well, see, this puts us all on equal footing. Makes no difference how much money you've got. Makes no difference how little you've got. You could still outgive anybody in the church. Are you with me now? Did y'all see that thing on the news? I forget what it was about this fellow that shined shoes. At the hospital, Phyllis printed it out and kept it and showed me, and she may share it sometime in more detail. But this fellow, 
He's had some uh, problems that mentally wasn't 100% and born that way, but he shined shoes for, I don't know, decades at this hospital. And they come to find out that he is the biggest giver to the hospital. <laughs> you think, huh? And they were shocked too. But what he did is every tip he ever got in the last 20 years, he sold it to the children in the hospital. And he sold nearly $100,000. <laughs> Every day, he'd come in there with $6. And a lot of times, didn't wait till the end of the day, I guess. He'd come and bring, he got $3 and $2. But how many stand 3 and 2 and 5 and 10 Every day? Every day? Every day adds up. And he's out giving people they're supposed to be millionaires. As far as the hospital is concerned. See, there's no excuse for a person giving nothing. And doing nothing. There, there's nobody who's so bad off and such a poor shape. That, well, no, I, why would anybody expect me to give? They should be giving to me. And that's why you are that way. Did you hear me? You got to get your mind. This fella, you could tell they had a little clip of him, a little video clip. He was the happiest guy. He's the happiest guy. And the interviewer was saying, so you love these kids? He said, yeah, I love the kids. And they showed him in there. Not only did he do that, he'd bring them presents. And he's in there hugging on them. And they'd hug it. They liked him. And he, they said, you don't know these kids? He said, no, you don't know them. He said, but you love them. And he kept talking about God. He's a believer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I know uh, some years ago, uh, we talked about some of these things, and there was this lady that got a hold of the tapes, and she thought, well, I want to give. And she'd always been saying, I'm on a fixed income. I don't have anything. She thought, what can I do? What, Lord, I want to give. And he began to give her some ideas. She had all this time, and she thought, well, what do I have? See, instead of thinking about what you don't have, what do I have? She began to realize, I've got all these uh, subscriptions to all these magazines and these newspapers and publications. I've got some of them. Other people gave them to me. They're here all the time. They're full of coupons. She began to get file folders and made file folders for families in the church that she knew had a lot of kids and went to the grocery store and she'd take her time and clip all these coupons and put them in the file folders and then bring them to church and give them to them so when they went shopping. Well, she's sewing. I said, she's sewing. If you want to sow, you can. If you got it in your heart, God gives seed to the sower. Thank you, Lord. Now notice, we talked about this, we talked about precious seed last week, but go with me, if you would, to Exodus. Exodus 25. If you hadn't been giving, don't get condemned, don't feel guilty, don't feel bad, that does nothing. Except put you in bondage and hold you back. Just get stirred up that you can be a blessing to somebody, right? You don't always have to be on the receiving end. You don't always have to be on the needing end. You can be a tool and a vessel that God could use to meet somebody else's needs and to help them. In Exodus, the 25th chapter, this is such a, such a powerful passage of Scripture all through here. If you know the story and you've read it, then you know how that God 
so spectacularly took the people of God from out of the midst of Egyptian bondage. I mean, the scripture said, never has it been recorded before that God took a nation from the midst of another people for himself. And I mean, they had no might. They couldn't have fought their way out of it. They had no ability. They were slaves. They couldn't have bought their way out of it. God took them and brought them out with a high hand. The scripture said, mighty power, signs and wonders. And he brought them out to fulfill his promise to uh, his covenant man, Abraham, and to make covenant with them and draw a people to himself. And so as soon as they come out and he brings them through the Red Sea deliverance and they travel not too long, he tells them to meet him at the mountain. How many understand this is significant? This whole a portion of history. Nothing has happened like this before. Exactly like this. Nor will again. It's a type of what's been fulfilled in Christ. But this is momentous. I mean, how much time has passed? Nothing like this has happened. But here, God says, meet me at this mountain. And he manifests himself. He comes down on the mountain in fire and smoke and glory. And he speaks to the people. The millions heard the living voice, audible living voice of the Almighty. They heard Him. The whole nation heard Him. They knew it wasn't Moses with a a megaphone. Nobody could sound like this. And He gave them what we call the Ten Commandments. He spoke these right out before there were the tablets or any of that. He spoke it right out. They heard it. It shook them to the core. They were beyond words. And the elders went to Moses. They said, please, 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 you go talk to him. (laughs) And whatever he tells you to do, you come back and tell us, we'll do it. But we are afraid if we hear him speak again that we won't make it. We'll all die. How many know our God is powerful? Oh, whew. Think about that. This whole nation of folk. They, I want to hear God. Well, you heard him. Whoo, let's not hear him anymore. <laughs> you go talk to him. So Moses did. And the Lord gave him, you know, the Ten Commandments. And he gave him numerous statutes and ordinances of just what is right. What is right to do in life. And then, immediately after this, this is when the, Moses was to go up, you know, for 40 days. He told him, he said, get, in fact, you're here in Exodus uh, 25, back up to chapter 24, 24, 1, God said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship you afar off. This is a personal invitation from the Almighty To come visit with me. And this is big stuff now. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come near. Neither shall the people go up with him. He warned them. They put barriers around the whole base of the mountain. Nobody else got any closer than those barriers. At the base. At the foot of the mountain. But he said you and Aaron. 
Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 of the leaders that the Lord had called and appointed and anointed. He said, y'all come up further. And then I'm going to call Moses up even closer. So they did. Now notice in verse 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. Did you get that? Now, they didn't see his face, but they saw his form, and they saw the light and the glory and the power. They're looking, and they know it's him. That's how close they are. Not only that, they had a meal with him. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand, and they saw God and did eat and drink. They sat down up there on the mountain at table and had a meal with God. Wow. How many understand this is big? This is big. See, this is the establishment of the first covenant. The promises fulfilled that he made to Moses, and now he's establishing his covenant with this people that he pulled out of the nation of Egypt for himself. So now, the Bible said, after this, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me in the mount and be there. And I'll give you tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua. And Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said to the elders, you stay here, wait for us till we come again. And verse 15, Moses went up into the mount and a cloud covered the mount and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days and the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up to the mount and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Is this big? Now, the reason why I keep saying this, because I learned some things this week about this. God has sat down and let these 70 elders and Moses and Aaron and his sons see him, not his face. Now, see, not long after this, Moses said, I want to see your glory. And we find out what he's saying is, I want to see your face. And the Lord told him, you can't. If you did, you'd die. You can't see my face. He's just too much. You understand, he's too much glory, too much power for a mortal man or woman to look full in his face. You'd no longer be mortal. You'd be out of here. But soon and very soon, won't be long, these bodies are going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And then we'll all be able to stand before the throne and look on his face. Do you think it'll do something for us? Whoo! You talk about joy unspeakable and full of glory. You talk about a thrill. To be able to look upon him and hear his words. Oh my. We get foretaste of it down here now, but we get the full thing later.
this important? What's happening now? They've had the covenant meal. And then he said, now Moses, you come on up. And the glory of the Lord was just there burning for these six days. And the seventh day, the Lord said to Moses, come on up closer. And I'm going to tell you some things. Is this important? Oh, it's important. But I was surprised by the first thing that he says now. Are you there in the 25th chapter? No, this wasn't written in chapter and verse. The Lord spoke to Moses. And what does he say? He said, you go and speak to the children of Israel and you tell them what? To bring me an offering. My. Wow. Does that have the effect on you that it did on me? I mean, I know it's important, but somewhere or another we haven't seen the importance of it. Preachers have backpedaled on this subject. Did you hear me? Because of pressure from people, yeah, yeah, and about, oh, don't talk about the offerings and, you know, just get to the sermon. We are at the sermon. And the sermon's on the offering. Right? If the Lord said, don't bring up money again, we wouldn't. But in contrast to that, he says what? Of all the things he could have said, right off the bat here. He said what he wanted to say, didn't he? He's up there in the glory, his knees bumping together, probably holding on to a rock to keep from falling down. The Lord says, come close. And I'm going to tell you what to go back and tell the people. Because see, after the Ten Commandments and things that he had given them, they said, you go, you go, and you live. So here he is, 40 days and 40 nights. And how does it start off? The Lord says, you're to go back and tell the people. That they are to bring me an offering. When the Lord says bring me an offering. What should you do? It should be a priority to you. Right? Let's keep reading. Speak to the children of Israel. That they bring me an offering. Of every man. That gives it. Willingly. With his heart. Everybody say willingly. With his heart. You shall take my offering of everybody that brings it willingly with his heart. You're to receive it and take it. Now there are numerous types of offerings mentioned in the scriptures here. Let me give you a little partial list to show you what we're dealing with here. There is the meal offering. There is the drink offering. There is the heave offering. There is the guilt offering, the sin offering. The peace offering, the wave offering, there's a number of different ones described. But you'll find this particular phrase, there's specific words in the Hebrew that describe what he just said here. And it is, uh, I don't know if this is correct pronunciation or not, nedabah, and it means free will offering. It means a voluntary free or free will offering. And the more I studied this, the more I saw how significant this is to God. I mean, the people are shaken to the core from what they've just experienced. If God said, everybody bring every dime you got to the base of this mountain right now, I expect the pile would have piled up right now. But notice what he says. You go tell the people 
to bring me an offering. But then he qualifies it. Doesn't he? Do we have to bring it? No, he didn't say you had to bring it. What did he say? Everybody that will bring it willingly with his heart, those are the ones that you'll take and receive. Is this compulsory? No. Is it mandatory? No. He said it must be what? Free will. Free will. Willing. Now, the more you get into this, the more you see what an issue this is, what a deal this is. People sometimes try to figure out, why was there a Garden of Eden with a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why did he tell them, don't eat of that? Why have the tree there? Because, friend, love, offerings, gifts, service mean nothing Unless you have a choice. Right? You can't have real love and real loyalty without a choice. And it's only when you have a choice and you choose to serve God instead of yourself. You choose to give it to Him instead of do something else with it. That it means something. Are you with me? Second Corinthians, we'll probably get to this in just a moment, but Second Corinthians chapter 8 and in chapter 9, you know, he talks about as every man purposes in his heart, so let him bring. As you purpose, well, if you look that up, it has to do with priority. Every man chooses to do this instead of this. Have you found out that you cannot spend uh, one amount of money on three different things. Hmm? Let's say you got a hundred dollars. Can you spend that hundred dollars on yourself and give it to somebody else? You cannot. Once you spend it on yourself, you can't give it to somebody else. So what you're doing is you're making a choice. You're saying, no, I'm going to do this instead of that. I know I've told this before, but, you know, several years ago, I wanted a certain kind of car. And I went ahead and got it. And it wasn't right. Anybody ever done something like that? Paid too much for it. Why? Because I wanted it. Now. And uh, the insurance was too much for me, and the payment was high. I, of course, wasn't able to pay for it with just cash. and, And it was a burden, and it wasn't a blessing. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord does what? Makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. When the Lord blesses you with something, it's not a burden to keep up and take care of. It's a blessing. When you add something to yourself and it's not right, it's a burden. And this was. And after a few months, only about three. Everybody say three months. About three months, I didn't know too much, but I knew enough to realize this ain't right. I got to prayer serious about it. And eventually it took me a little while, but the Lord was able to get across to me. I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but I knew in my spirit. I'm explaining it like I understood it. It's like the Lord said to me, son, I don't care if you have a dozen of these. Suit me fine. But you're not there. 
compared to your giving. Did you hear that now? So your priorities are not right. It's taken all the faith you got to make your payments on your stuff and you're not giving and you're not sowing where you're violating the first principle of prosperity. Right? And you're going to be messed up till you get it straightened out. Because the master key to prosperity is seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and in what? All these things. Not you'll add them to yourself, but they will be added to you. God will add them to you. Amen. Amen. So I did. I looked until I found somebody that would buy it and I lost money. But I got out from under it. And now I don't have a car. But I rode with Phyllis. For a year and a half or so. And we began to. We tightened our belt. And we quit eating out so much. And we did some other things. And we put our faith on this. And paid this off. And instead of incurring another debt. We took that money. And began to give it. I'm telling you how we came out now. And then we got out from under this debt. And instead of just incurring more debt. We began to give that. And we increased our giving. And increased our giving. And it wasn't but about two years. Until, man, our giving is up now at a place where you feel good about it. Anybody know what I mean by that? You don't feel like you're just bumping along. You feel like you're really doing something. And the Lord worked it out for me. I got a used car that was really better than the one I had. It was used but didn't have many miles on it. Got it for a wonderful deal. And I'm driving it, but I don't feel bad about it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because I am there now. It took me a couple of years to get some things straightened out. But it's a matter of priorities. Now, uh, he said, tell the people to bring me an offering, and it's to be what kind? Every man that gives it willingly with his heart, you'll take my offering. Now, let's keep reading. Are you there in the scripture? He said, this is what you tell them to bring. Bring gold, bring silver, bring brass. He goes down through the list. Now, let's just stop right here. Why is he telling them to bring these things? Well, he's got a plan for them to build something. Right? Verse 8. And they bring all this stuff and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show them after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. What about today? Isn't it the same thing? Why do we bring our offerings? Because the Lord's building something. Right? But not just a natural house. He's building a spiritual house. But we take the natural ability and to get out. How many understand we couldn't be going around the world live on the internet with this service without money? You wouldn't be sitting in here in this last place without money. Right? But is this the end or the beginning? We're supposed to come on up from here and go on out far. Amen. The Lord's building something. Well, it takes materials. Natural and spiritual to build it. Now skip on down to verse, uh, skip down to chapter 35. Because in these chapters in between, he's describing to them how they're to build it and what they're to do. How many believe the Lord will give us a very specific vision about what to do with the resources and the money and how to do it? I believe it. And at this point, I don't feel bad at all about the steps we've made. Do you? I don't. 
You know, I told you that the internet, you know, there's more expense than what we had originally thought. That's just great. I don't feel bad about that at all. Do you? No, we're going to step out and go far out beyond. And what we've got to do, we've just got to get to where what we thought was big doesn't look big to us. That's what has to happen. Right? Is a million dollars big? That was weak. That was it. I had eight people say, no. No. Do you think God thinks a million dollars is big? No. I actually had the Lord tell me this one time. I don't mean an audible voice, but in a time of prayer, I brought up money to him one too many times. And what I mean by that, not asking for money, I just brought up to him how much it cost. (laughs) That's how I was raised, and I'm getting my mind renewed. But anybody know what I mean? You know, when there's a big price tag, you go, whoa, do you know how much that costs? Well, I made the mistake of saying that to him one time. (laughs) And he said to me, he said, son, I don't care. How much it costs. And it went down in me. It went all over me. I realized that's not going to be an excuse. Come the end of our life. You know the Lord will say. Why didn't you build what I told you to build? Why didn't you go and do what I told you to do? And there will be people standing there and go. Well Lord it cost 20 million dollars. And I didn't have them. He's not even going to hear it. Because he was already prepared to get the money to him. He knew where it was coming from. He already had it planned and lined out. Instead of believing him, they just wanted to talk about money and how much it was. And he told, see, we get upset sometimes about thinking, I wonder if we spent $10 too much on that. He doesn't care. Did you get that now? He doesn't care if you spent $10,000 too much. To him, money doesn't matter. He doesn't care how much it costs. He don't care how much you spent. Just get the job done. Right? Get it done. Do it. Do you get that? Man, that went all over me when he told me that. I'm still, when I talk about it, it comes back on me. And I realize cost should not be the determining factor in our decisions. We shouldn't make our decisions based on cost. If we don't have it, what do we do? We sow for it and we stand and believe till it comes in. Right? No matter how big it is. We're not led by cost. Right? Not led by price. Should be led by the Spirit. In uh, Exodus, now the 35th chapter, they are now acting on what he told them to do. He was instructing him what to tell them to do, and then Moses has come down now after these many chapters later. Now he's telling them what the Lord told him, and they're acting on it. Exodus 35, verse 4. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commands, saying, Take ye from among you an offering to the Lord. An offering to who? The Lord. To the Moses Evangelistic Association? No. Huh? No. <laughs> to the Church of Israel Association? No. No. An offering where? So we got to get our mind renewed on this. See, people, they're just thinking about, well, I'm giving to this one. No, the Bible said, here men that die receive these things, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. It must become more real to us that we're giving to God. This is to him. When you do, you'll take it on a whole different way. I've had people come before, you know, not many times, thank God. But, you know, they want to talk about, well, you know, I put this in the offering. And what about this? And what about that? And first thing I do is I go, whoa, 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 whoa. That, did you give that to the Lord? 
Well, well, I give it to y'all. Well, at this point, I'm ready to give it back, you know. I don't always say that. But your giving is to him, right? And when it's to him, you're not just looking at people and thinking that way. Your offering is to him. It's holy. He receives it. And it's done. Now, he said, take from among you an offering to the Lord, whosoever is what? Of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold, silver, brass. Now, let's just stop right here. Who said to do this? These are God's exact words. Now, in verse 20, all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, every one who? Whose heart stirred him up, and every one whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation for all his service and for the holy garments. And there came both men and women, as many as were what? Willing hearted. Now that's four times we've seen that already here. And they brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and gold. And they brought uh, all those things of the offering of gold to the Lord. Now verse 29. The children of Israel brought what? A willing, willing offering. Again, that word literally means free or free will. They brought a willing offering to the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing. Is this important? Why would he keep saying it over and over and over and over again? Willing, willing, whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. And Moses said to the Lord, and he he begins to tell who's going to do the work, who's going to spend the money. And uh, they spent it on materials. And in verse 36, it describes how they did it. Verse 3, they received of Moses, this is Exodus 36, 3. They received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet to him free offerings. What kind? Free. Free Free offerings every morning. This wasn't once a week, man. But when the word went out, and it went through all the millions in the nation, and they heard, the Lord said, bring an offering. Well, I got some gold. I got some purple. I got some. And man, it went through the whole nation. And they begin to come and bring and come and bring every morning. And verse 4, all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. And they spoke to Moses and they said, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the Lord which the Lord commanded to make. This is a picture of what happens when everybody obeys. You know, people like to pretend like everybody's tithing and giving, but they're not. A lot of folks, I don't say this over us, and I don't believe this. I don't look at all the giving records purposely. I know the amounts and that kind of thing, but I don't look at individuals to see what they gave purposely. Uh, So I, you know, I don't try to find that out or know that. But there's a lot of folks that have tell us that in most churches, 10% of the congregation is carrying the church 
financially, that's the words they use. Well, 90%, what are they doing? And with so many folks, this is the reality. And that's why so many times it takes so long to do certain things and it just, just seems like it's drawn out and drawn out. Why? Because you've got all hordes of people that are not bringing offerings. But what about everybody stirs up? Well, then what happens? It's done and then there's too much. Right? And, you, and look what he said. Don't you like this? Moses gave commandment, verse 6, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man or woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. Too much. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Why can't we get there? Why can't we? We're not talking about controlling the whole world here now. What about Faith Life Church? <laughs> Branson. Wouldn't it bless you and please you for me and Phyllis and the staff to have to get up here and say, Now guys, don't bring any more right now. Wouldn't that bless you? What does that mean? That means you're blessed. You couldn't give like that if you weren't blessed, right? That means you're prospering, you're increasing, and it means you're free-hearted and you're willing. I do not believe this is just something that happened long ago and we always have to look back here and go, wow. No, it'll happen here. Why not? Is it the will of God? Then let's put our faith on it. It'll happen here. It'll happen here. You watch and see. We'll have projects. And I'll have to come and say, whoa, now, the project was met last week, you know, before I got through talking about it. So don't give on that project anymore. Right? Because we already got 50000 in excess of it's already taken care of. So don't give on that project anymore. Is that far-fetched? That's not far-fetched. No. This is the will of God. But notice how many times did he say willing, 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 free, free will, willing. Is this important? Oh, it's so important. People say, do we have to give? No, you don't have to give. No. Are you asking us to give? No, and I'm not going to. Did you hear me? It's a privilege to give. And I don't care, you could bring us a check this morning for a million dollars. And if you don't want to do it, if you're not willing to do it, we don't want it. Now, I know a lot of people think, well, I, are you sure, Brother Key? I'm sure. I'm sure. They said, oh, you don't, you tell me you'd turn down a check for a million dollars. I've turned down many checks. Not will I, I have. Don't think I won't. If I'm led by money, I'm not led by the Lord. Amen. And you've got to make up your mind, whether it's $5 or whether it's $50 million, that you're not led by money. Amen. Right? And if there is just a bigger amount that can change your mind, then that means that's your price. Yes. You can be bought. Yes. I refuse to be bought. I refuse to let the church be bought. Amen. Did you hear me? Yes. Don't you? Yes. No. God. Say it out loud. I can't be bought. Some folk need to say that again. Say it out loud again. I can't be bought. 
Is there an amount that it caused you to ignore in your heart what you know is right? Should not be. Should not be. So with the Lord, He does not receive all offerings. We've seen that very plainly and clearly. And He tells us repeatedly, free will. Free will. He wants to see you willing to do it. I'm believing the Lord to help get this out because I know... How many understand some things, I guess maybe it has to do with our understanding, but some things spiritually can be challenging to describe. I know Phyllis and I, I know the period and time in our lives where we had major breakthrough in the area of prosperity. And I know one of the things that happened in us is we got excited about giving. I know that was inseparable from it. We got stirred up. We looked forward to bringing our offering to church. And not just church. Every day during the week, we got pumped up about giving to other people. I mean, it got on us. And Phyllis, I mean, I, this happened more than one time. Phyllis, we'd be going through the airport. This is before we had something private. And, and Phyllis would take off her earrings and give them to the person behind the, uh, the counter. I come home one time without my shoes and jacket and tie and belt. Did you hear me? Now you can miss it in giving. I don't mean just do everything off the top of your head. But we should be such that we are not attached to stuff. We know where it came from. And we know there's a lot more where that came from. And you get free. And you begin to enjoy giving. Would that not be the free will? The willing heart. Can you see that? Oh, Lord, help us to get this. Now, I know what a big deal it is. Say it out loud. Willing heart. Willing heart. heart. Free will. will. Now, this happened again. Go to 1 Chronicles 29. Now, this was the building of the tabernacle, the house of God. How many realize later there was the building of of the house of God, the temple. We're going to 1 Chronicles 29. I said, do you realize there was the construction of the tabernacle, which really is a tent. But oh, a nice tent. Everybody say nice tent. I mean, if you look at the gold and the silver and stuff they put into that thing, I mean, it was hundreds of millions for a tent. Right? Right? God says, I want a tent. He wants a nice tent. And why not? Well, it came time to build the temple. The temple is not a portable thing. This is the fixed structure. And the Lord said to them, this thing has got to be exceeding magnificent. And he told them exactly how he wanted it done. And I'm telling you, they spared no expense. It was billions Everybody say billions. Billions. That's with a B. How many think more of us ought to know about the B? (laughs) We should. Now, the billion. You know, now, a lot of folk, a million is too much to even think about. Well, wherever you are, put your faith, if it's thousand, put your faith on that. But then come on up to the M. The million, right? And then how many think we ought to come on up to the billion? We should. Let's believe for it. Let's 
Well, that was too much for some folks. Well, just think about where you are there. Focus on that. Get that. Then we can step up. In First Chronicles 29, are you there? This is the construction of the temple. Actually, the offerings that were coming in to get it done. And you'll hear something and see something that looks very, very familiar. First Chronicles 29. Are you there? David said, verse 2. I've prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the brass for the things of brass. And he goes on. I mean, it talks about marble and stones. And Verse 3, moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God. Do you hear that now? Yeah. Is he doing this out of fear? No. Is he doing this out of guilt? No, no, because of what? Love. Love, affection. His heart is here, isn't it? His desire is here. The Lord doesn't just want us to give. He wants us to want to give. Did you get this now? That's the big deal. You can hear how far off so many folks are because they want to fuss about tithe. Do we have to tithe? Why do we have to tithe under the New Testament? You don't. You don't. And with that attitude, don't. We don't want it. Do we have to give? I mean, talking about give, give. Do we have to give? No, you don't have to give. No. But the problem is, why don't you want to? Right? That's the big deal. Why don't you desire to? The desire is not there. It reveals problems. First of all, it shows there's other things more important in your life. Right? There's so many other things that you would rather spend your money on and is more important to you and is a bigger priority to you. Well, you can't serve two masters. Right? But friend, if God is first... Then you get excited when we say we had 13 seats paid for. Right? It means something to you. It makes you happy when we say, man, the internet bill is getting bigger because we got so many people logging on. You go, yeah, yeah. Lord, make it a hundred times as big. And of course, the money to pay it. Right? And whatever you, it's not just a side thing that you think about five minutes on Sunday morning. You think about it Monday afternoon. You think about it Tuesday night, right? You're believing for it. You're on it. Why? This is your family. This is the kingdom. And it's a big deal to you. It's not a side issue with you. It's a big deal with you. So you don't show up at the last minute before offering time and see if you got some change. Did you hear me? No. You talk about it with your spouse or with yourself. You pray before the Lord about it. And you prepare your offering and you put your faith on it and you bring it with you. And it means something to you. And you hold it up before the Lord, right? And you release your faith. Well, he said, because I've set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I prepared for the holy house that he's talking about out of my pocket. Verse 5, the gold for things of gold and silver for things of silver. And who then is what? Then he sets the example. He said, this is what uh, the kingdom is giving, and this is what David and Mrs. David is giving. 
And it was a chunk, buddy. It was 1.5 billion plus another 60, 70 million. This is, he's kicking the offering off. Can you hear this? (laughs) Before they pass the plate, they've got one point, oh, what is it? Six, seven billion. B, B. Before they pass the plate. Then he says, who else is willing? Now he's the king. Do you understand? He's the king. He could say, I want to see the money down here now. And guards could have saddled up beside you and said, no, bigger. (laughs) Right? He's the king. They could have said, no, 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 no. Two more zeros on the left side. Right? But he didn't. He didn't. Why? Because he knows he's God. Can't be compelling. Can't be compulsion. Even though to him it's the most important thing. What does he say? Who is who else has got it on their heart like I do? He said, who else is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today on this thing? And here they begin to step up. Who's willing to consecrate his service this day to the Lord? The chief of the fathers and the princes of the tribes, the rulers of the king's work, they came and they did what? They, Verse 6, they offered willingly. Verse 9. Well, uh, you know, to put it together, before they got through giving, we've got another probably 2.7 billion. This is on top of what David and the kingdom had done. Man, they're having an offering. I said, they're having an offering. And did you notice in this offering, they're announcing how much is coming in. Do you see that? See, some people get all bent out of shape and they say, well, no, 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 no. The Bible says you're not supposed to let your left hand know what your right hand does. Well, it depends on what kind of offering you're talking about. That was talking about giving alms, giving to the poor. And you're not supposed to broadcast that because it embarrasses people that have need. This is not giving alms. This is not giving to the poor. This is giving to God. And this is a public offering, and it's a time where we are honoring God with our heart. And I mean, they are serious about what they are doing today. And then, this is the rulers now. Now it's time for everybody else to get involved, right? Right? We've already got what? Oh, about four billion? How many understand you can build something? <laughs> right? This is before construction starts. We ain't talking about getting some loans and see if we can make it from phase to phase. We're talking about six billion sitting in the bank before you drive the first nail. Now that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Glory. How many know the people had to be blessed to be able to do this? I know some people that believed in prosperity. Able to write checks like this? You got to be blessed. Now notice. Then verse 9, then the people, they did what? I guess so. They rejoiced for that they what? They offered willingly because with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. 
What kind of giver does God love and what he's pleased with? Can you see this now? And nobody dragging their heads, nobody fussing about. Well, this is a lot of money. I don't know why we got. No, no, these people are glad. They're rejoicing. They're happy. Nobody's making anybody do anything. David blessed the Lord before the congregation. He said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that's in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You're exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. Does he know what he's talking about? When you can write a check for a billion, you know what you're talking about. Riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all, and in your hand is power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so So willingly after this sort, for all things come of you and of your own have we given you. Verse 16, O Lord our God, all this store that we've prepared to build you a house. Everybody say, build you a house. Build you a house, for your holy name comes of your hand and is all your own. And I know also, my God, that you try the heart and has pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy your people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto you. Is willing important? Can you see how important? Willing. 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 And so the first key to our prosperity is not just giving. It's getting stirred up in our heart to where we are pumped about it. And not just giving on Sunday morning or Friday night or whenever. No, it's being excited about giving to the person that works beside us. Right? The person that lives beside us. Giving to our own family. Just being a blessing. And you don't have to wait till you've got a bunch of money in the bank. See what you got at the house. See what you got in your hand. It might not be a big deal to some people, but somebody else it could be a big deal too. Right? There are people in this church that have things on their lists that other people have in their closet that they hadn't used in six months. Or in their jewelry box or in their garage. You know what I'm saying? So what should we do? We must be open. And we must listen and look, right? And be willing and ready to sow and share and be generous. Now go with me to the New Testament. Does this carry over to the new? Has it changed? No, God didn't change. Second Corinthians 8, 3. 2 Corinthians 8, 3. He said to their power... I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were what? He's talking about people giving an offering. They were willing of themselves. Now, if you skip on down to verse 11, he said, Now perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, there may be performance also out of that which you have. For if there be first a what? 
a willing mind, what's the name? This is 2 Corinthians 8, 12. If there's first a willing mind, it is, oh, did you hear that now? What makes our offerings acceptable to the Lord? If there's a willing mind, it's accepted according to that a man has and not according to that he has not. Does this willingness affect how acceptable our offerings are? Skip down to the ninth chapter. We've heard this. We've seen it many times. Oh, but look at it. In a new light. Where's the amplified at? Somebody got an amplified for me? Second Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Let each one give as he had made up his own mind and purposed in his heart. Not reluctantly. Did you hear this now? Now let's take this very seriously. If you are reluctant to give. Is it an issue with God? Will he accept your offering the same? No he will not. I think we've just kind of brushed this aside. And you say well yeah you know. And people come. There are people that pay tithes like a bill. They wish they didn't have to. Right? Right? They do. They pay it like a bill that they wish they could get free from. And they watch it as it goes down the line in the offering bucket thinking, man, I could have used that. Well, you need to understand God did not accept it. Did you hear that now? Because he told us. He didn't say try not to. He told us do not do it grudgingly. Don't do it. He said don't do it. Reluctantly, the Amplified says, are sorrowfully, are under compulsion. Don't do it. Because you feel like you have to. Don't do it. Out of a feeling of guilt. Don't do it. Sorrowfully. You know, people can get in a habit, and we say, it's offering time, and people clap. That doesn't mean you're joyful. You can clap mindlessly. Right? But no, when it's time to give, it's time to be glad about it. Yeah. You're thinking, hmm, glory to God. When are they going to get to the offering? Because I got my offering. I got a big one today. Whoo, and I'm excited about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Used to, $5 was the best and biggest I could ever do. And now I got a whopper. I got a big one. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm giving to the Lord. And you get pumped about it. You get excited about it. Nobody's making you. Nobody's pulling on you. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. Nobody's threatening you about bad things that's going to happen to you if you don't give. None of that. He said, don't do it reluctantly, sorrowfully, or under compulsion. For God loves. Now, when the Bible said God loves something, you and I ought to be all ears going, what, what, what? What does God love? Let's get him two trucks full of it. Right? What does God love? God loves. Amplified says he takes pleasure in. He prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. This is New Testament. This is the will of God. What makes our offerings acceptable? They're willing. 
willing. Willing and glad. Glad and free. Right? Want to do it. Nobody got to twist arm. Nobody got to tell us five sad stories. Right? Uh, nobody got to beg us. No, we came with it in hand, ready, prepared. And God, get this now, God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance when you come give like that. So that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need, be self-sufficient. Get this now, I looked this up again, this is literally what this means, possessing enough to require no aid or support. Nobody needs to support you. You require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. The Thayer's definition of all sufficiency, when he says we have all sufficiency in all things, Thayer says all sufficiency literally means a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. That's where God wants to bring us to. Where we require no, nobody has to support us. Nobody has to help underwrite us. Aren't you glad our church has been that way from the very beginning? I mean, I've had people ask me, well, what group and what's underwriting you and what denomination? God. Right? God. No, God. Makes you feel good, too. You don't want to get haughty and proud so we don't need anybody. But at the same time, isn't it good that we don't have to be beggars? We don't have to go to anybody. No group with our hat in our hand going, please, please, can you help us? Got to help the preacher now. Got to help the church. Because if you don't, we're going to go under it. Well, then God ain't who you said he was. You don't have to beg either. But I'm telling you, when the change came in Phyllis and I life, it's when something happened on the inside of us. And instead of just going through the motion with something, we begin to get excited about giving. Not just on Sunday, all the time. We begin to look around. And you talk about fun. You hadn't had fun until you become an everyday giver. Oh, you begin to sow, you begin to give, you see people enjoy things that you put into their life, and oh, it blesses you. It blesses you. Look around, and you see somebody wearing something in church that you bought them, or that you sold to them. You see somebody pull up and drive up in something you paid off. Man, makes you feel good. It does something for you. Oh, it's wonderful. You look in the church, and you say things that you help buy. You help pay for it. I mean, like this remodel up here and all these things. See, you have a part in that. These screens and, and this word that's going out all over the world. You have a part. How many have a part in that? I got seed in that. I got seed in that. I got a part of that. Does it make you feel good? Does it make you feel like you belong? You're a part of something that's bigger than you. Stand up, please. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.